welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 52. I just want to remind everyone, you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike's Records, or on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, at Michael's Record Collection. You can write to me at Michael's Record Collection at gmail.com, and please check out my Patreon if you'd like to support the show for as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. All right, now that all that advertising is out of the way, (laughs) let's get into today's show. Sometimes it's difficult to talk about an artist because they're no longer with us, and such is the case with this week's show, in which we'll be discussing Kevin Gilbert's posthumous classic, The Shaming of the True. Kevin passed away in 1996, and the album was released in 2000 after some painstaking work from John Cunaberti and Nick DiVirgilio, and some additional recording was done to fill in some of the gaps that Kevin left behind when he died. It's an incredible concept album, and like Kevin himself, is criminally unknown in the broader music world. Joining me to discuss the record, which is getting its first vinyl release literally any day now, is Wayne Perez, archivist for the estate of Kevin Gilbert, and the host of You Are Here, a Kevin Gilbert podcast on YouTube. Now, Wayne's show is more than just a podcast, though. Each episode is a mini-documentary, and I'll let Wayne describe it better himself in today's show. You can learn more about Kevin's music at kevingilbert.com or on the official Kevin Gilbert Facebook page. Now let's get to that chat with Wayne Perez about the amazing Kevin Gilbert. Here we go. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very excited today to talk about the music of Kevin Gilbert with Wayne Perez. He is the host, I guess you would say, of the uh, YouTube podcast about Kevin Gilbert's career. And that is called You Are Here, a Kevin Gilbert podcast. Wayne, thanks for being with me. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Doing great. I appreciate your time today. And uh, I want to kind of just start out by having you tell me a little bit about your podcast and and how people can find it, how it got started, that kind of thing. It's a podcast called You Are Here, and it is about Kevin Gilbert, the lifetimes and music that he was a part of. It's only on YouTube, and if you go to kevingilbert.com, you can click on all the links and subscribe and get in there. And basically, we talk about um, just everything that that encompassed Kevin's music life. So we speak with uh, producers and musicians and friends who knew him and kind of just get on the backstory and kind of get into their behind-the-scenes works. And we have some unreleased music that we play, some unheard gems, and we have actually a few shows in the can right now but uh, we've been holding back on a few of them just because of the content that we want to add to it and um, some of the interviews that we want to you know kind of square away and and pack in there so every show is is packed with multi-video multimedia video audio everything like that so um, youtube is really the best place to check it out because it each one is like a mini documentary if you can Mm -hmm. and um just gives you everything you know encompassed in one yeah, I thought it was a good time to talk about Kevin's work because uh, this album, The Shaming of the True, is about to come out on vinyl. It's going to be a limited vinyl release. It's not going to be a pre-order thing. You're going to have to pay attention and scoop it up when it you know, when it becomes available. And I'm excited to get into the album a little bit with you. But I wanted to go back a little bit first and, and have you tell me when did you become aware of Kevin and his music and, and you know, sort of tell me your origin story of, with Kevin Gilbert. I first heard a giraffe uh, in the late 80s on the on Stone Trek. It was a radio show in Southern California, and it was um, 
it was syndicated to the Los Angeles market and it would be on Sunday nights on radio station KLOS in Los Angeles and they played a couple of giraffe tunes one time and I just kind of earmarked it and then when Toy Matinee came out with their their only album their first and only album and that started to get some airplay and uh, from Mark and Brian and and their 95.5 KLOS show that's when I really caught on and and that's when I became a fan and your involvement with Kevin's uh, Kevin's estate and all of that where take me back to the very genesis of that well I met Kevin um, a couple years before he passed and I met him as a fan and at one of his shows just struck up a conversation with him he introduced me to to the rest of the band members and we just kind of formed a friendship off of that one meeting and I was a photographer uh, currently still am and so I asked him if I could shoot some of the shows that he he was performing at so he said sure go ahead I ended up sending him some photos um, of the performances and he called me and he actually liked them and that was a big compliment because years later I learned out that Kevin he was so critical of his photos and um, especially live shots so uh, knowing that after it was it was pretty neat so I started to work with him more and more with um, doing photos and I was at the time of his passing I, uh, we were working on fan club stuff trying to bridge the gap between him and the fans get more of a of a handshake meet and greet type of thing going um, more of a presence you know his mind was so much into the music he didn't think about anything else and he had a manager John Rubin who was formulating all that so we were all working together to try to come up with something that would propel him into the next level so when his when he passed then um then the estate started to archive all the stuff um all the recordings and everything like that with uh, Nick DiVirgilio mm -hmm. and after a couple of years I just basically took over um that and they did the 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 core archiving you know all the master tapes everything like that and what i did was i went in and started to piece everything together and kind of put the pieces where they needed to be and we're still doing that actually we have a a multi-disc shaming of the truth uh, set coming out either at the end of this year or the beginning of next year and um about six months ago i uncovered something that was a huge piece that's gonna um it's integral for that so it's gonna be very good Okay, so when you say a Shaming of the True uh, set, you're talking about a live release? No, it's a CD set. A CD set, okay. All-encompassing, you know, multi-CD set, um, going over basically the, from the beginning to the end of what Kevin was going through, um, forming this, this package, I guess you could say. started recording for this album or, or at least 
the bulk of it was done in 95. What, how much did he leave in the can? Because it seems like he recorded a lot of material that he left behind. Um, as far as in the can for what, what are you talking about? Unreleased music or from yeah. the shaming of the true? Uh, yeah, but mainly from the shaming of the true, but you know, in addition to that, you know, what, you know, how much is still in there somewhere? Uh, for the shaming of the true, um, it's really hard to pinpoint how much is there from a fan perspective. Um, from an engineer, audio, or archivist perspective, there's a ton of stuff. For example, um, A Long Day's Life, that, that track, I don't know, there's 20 to 30 different takes of it. Um, and when I say takes, that's not individual takes, like vocal takes. I'm talking about mixes, um, mm -hmm. things that Kevin did, restructuring. There's a couple that have completely different drum tracks on it. So releasable stuff, um, that's what we're doing. We're putting all of that into something that, that can be released um, in, a, in, a, in a smart way. You know, you, we, we can release a 10 CD volume and, you know, 100 people are going to be able to afford that only. So we have to, to think about, number one, um, the audience. Who, who's going to be purchasing this? Who's going to want it? Is it going to be too much at once? Is it, you know, it's all these factors come into play. I know all the fans, hardcore fans are saying, give us, give us everything. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not possible. You know, you can't, you know, you can't have a, a 14 CD set and every CD is, you know, 12 versions of each song. It's just, it's not going to happen. So, right. um, so my job is to go through and see what the best of the best is or what the, the, the coolest things are, what, what, stands out what maybe is so far apart from what was the final piece that people are going to want to hear this abstract piece that he started with so but as far as other material that's available for um other releases other than the shaming of the true it's it's difficult to say um we have a plan and have had a plan for a few years on the end game on releasing all the the releasable hard media and when i say hard media that means LPs, CDs, anything like that, before before it heads over to the digital realm. Right now, um, only NRG and NRG Extended is available digitally. So, um, you know, it's it's. I wish I could give you a straight answer. <laughs> That's the thing. But but with this, sometimes it's in riddles because um, of legalities. There's things in Kevin's vault that we have to make sure is legally available to 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 release mm -hmm. and some things like tuesday night music club era to get the release from everyone it's just it wouldn't happen and it would be just too astronomical so so fans just need to understand that you know we are doing the best we can with what we have and the resources we have you know it's just not not everything kevin touched is owned by him so that's that's the most difficult thing to convey to the fans. They think since Kevin was the lead singer of Toy Matinee, well, why doesn't the estate just release Toy Matinee? And it, it doesn't work like that. We released a cover CD uh, this last this last year, and the estate does it the right way. They obtain all of the mechanical rights, all of the licensing, everything like that. Everybody who was who wrote on that gets paid. So. There's other independent artists who they, they record like a, a Beatles um, cover CD. Now tell me that the Beatles get that music, that money, and I'll be shocked because when you go look up the publishing on those, th those seem to be missing. Those titles seem to be missing from those. But you know, 
do the Beatles come and find a person who's selling a thousand discs somewhere? You know, it's one of those things. So, mm-hmm. but uh, with Kevin's stuff, it, it has to be done right. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. the main thing. Speaking of do it, doing it right. And you mentioned the word a couple of times releasable, and that is just really honoring Kevin and, and paying respect to his work by not putting something out that, you know, he wouldn't have wanted out there. Yeah. One of the things when, when, when John Rubin, the executive of the state and his manager at the time of his passing, when he started um, all these projects, um, the mantra that went out to everybody was we're only releasing stuff that Kevin would have approved of. Mm-hmm. And that was very, very well taken in you know, the first five, 10 years. Since then, we've reevaluated a lot of things. And we've come to the understanding that if Kevin were around right now, John, if he was his manager, me, if I was still doing stuff behind the scenes with fan club stuff, what we're releasing now is what we would be telling him and what would we be recommending him to do also. So 20 years after Thud, we would be knocking on the door saying, yes, let's release a 20th anniversary and let's put demos in there. Now, Thud was released in 1995. In 1996, 1997, Kevin wouldn't have wanted his demos out back then. He would have just wanted that music out that was on the album. So there's a time and a place when it is appropriate to release it. Mm -hmm. Um, You're wearing a giraffe shirt right now. Mm -hmm. And we released a giraffe box set and uh, in 2012 released uh, the, the discs, the proper discs. And Kevin originally didn't want those discs released. In 1999, the estate released a compilation giraffe giraffe it was a greatest hits mm-hmm. and that was that was actually made by kevin kevin did that track listing he left that with us and because that was something he wanted he was saying i'm not going to re-release the giraffe albums in itself i'm going to release a compilation well as the years got on and the demand kicked up and people were were selling these original draft cds for up to 500 dollars each We evaluated and said, you know what? Kevin would have probably said, no, I don't want people to be spending that much money on my stuff. So let's make it available, you know, for a limited time and and people can grab it when they can. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the, you know, the mantra that we go with, you know, what would, what would Kevin like? What would Kevin want? And we do that with the artwork. We do that with, with, with every aspect all along the way. We don't settle for sound quality, you know, differences. We go for the highest. And that's why with the Shaming of the Truth uh, two LP set that's coming out, it took almost two years to complete because we ran into so many obstacles, but we didn't settle for anything. We didn't go with the cheapest uh, vendor because they could get it the fastest. We went with the people that we wanted to go with because they could produce what we wanted to. And we ran along problems along the way, but um, we jumped those hurdles. And I think the product speaks for itself because when people get these and when they listen to them, I think they're going to, um, their jaws are going to drop and, We have two versions coming out. One's a standard edition and one's a limited edition. Same music on both. We're not, we never deny the amount of music. That's, that's first and foremost. If there's a standard edition, limited, everything comes with the same amount of music. So nobody can say that. The difference is what's packed inside. Just to go to tell you right now, the limited edition, it comes with a hologram sticker on the front that says limited edition. It's really nice. And when you open it up, um, in one of the photos, there's a nice little stamp, and each one is individually numbered. And 
a, a beautiful print comes with it, a print press print. And th these are pretty cool, Michael, because I don't know if you remember the old days of uh, printing when they used to they have to like actually pull the presses down and, uh, you know, there were plates and, chuk -chuk, yeah. you know, and they pull out the paper and chuk -chuk. that's how these were done. So each one's unique. Each one has its own stamp of of ink on there and certificate of approval. And they come in a beautiful envelope that's that's individually numbered and also is an exclusive shaming of the true beanie. <laughs> so <laughs> so you can't get it anywhere else. It's the mm -hmm. it's the uh, the title, the shaming of the true. So um, it's, it's a really cool package. And the cool thing about that is um, it's only ninety nine dollars. That's 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 the cool thing. You know, we're not in it to to ream the fans or whatever. They're actually getting a deal if you put everything all up against each other. And the um, the regular edition, the standard edition is forty five dollars. There's 100 limited editions and mm -hmm. there are 600 standards. That's it. Okay. 700 total. Mm -hmm. So if they sell out and if a, if a demand is there to, to get another pressing, we've talked about it. They will, it could be re-released um, in vinyl. It wouldn't be in the same packaging as it is in this one. It would be a, you know, a more bare bones package. This one comes in a triple gate fold. So it's six panels of artwork. So the other thing is it would be probably about another 12 to 16 months out because of uh, delays with vinyl right. production and everything like that, that, you know, you're hearing about everywhere. Sure. So, so that's it though. I mean, that's, it's, there's two packages to choose from standard and limited edition and get them while they can. And that's all I can say about that. You know, it's just, they're <laughs> going to, they're, it's one of the most anticipated releases from Kevin Gilbert since, um, since his passing. So We've really taken, like I said, the care and, and time and effort to do it. So, mm -hmm. I was lost in the city when I chanced on a man who said he was Jesus as he held out his hand. I tossed him a quarter. Said I'm your biggest fan Do you know the way back home? When the estate puts something like this out and they for example they put out the thud uh release on vinyl as well mm -hmm. and they put out a few others one of the things we hear sometimes is that uh this is gonna be the only run of this item when they're gone they're gone they're not gonna be printed again what goes into that decision in terms of of when to say maybe there'll be a second pressing and when to say this is definitely all we're going to do well with thud there was it was a one and done deal it was it, thud isn't owned by the estate of kevin gilbert it's owned by pra records so uh for years john rubin has tried to get it licensed and it took a while it took years and years and i'll always remember that that day when he called me and said, we get, we got thud because um, even before I started being an archivist for it, I, I was already assembling my own special edition of thud. So once I got into the archives, the first thing I did was tear into there and go through thud stuff. And it was a good, good idea to do that because when John said it's time, I had everything ready uh, for the most part. So we only, we knew that, that we could only get a certain amount of product out to the fans 
in a limited amount of time. So that that's how we had to do it. And that's why um, that's why the packages were released as they were with CD and, and LP together and things like that. The business aspect gets in the way of the fan aspect. So mm -hmm. sometimes the, the correlation between fan and business, it's very hard to marry them together to understand. So we try to do it as best possible. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I, I always try to tell people is, is when we put something out, when the estate puts something out, it's with the best intentions. It's, it's, we've already gone through the whole process of what can someone complain about? What can someone love about this? Yeah. What can they hate about it? And so we're ready. We're ready for it all because we stand behind it because we would be here going like that to Kevin saying, we, we stand behind your product. So now for, for, for everything else other than thud for giraffe for the call me Kai set, all that stuff, what goes into that is just supply and demand. The estate isn't a, a 24 seven operation. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not amazon.com where we can just uh, pump out CDs once they sell out, you know, you got to order 500 CDs to make it worthwhile. You got to order a thousand CDs to make it worthwhile or else you're just, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So, so a lot of these, um, these quantities are based off of, off of fan interaction. It's, you know, what will sell and, um, the funny thing is, we're talking about the selling like that. About two years ago, we people wanted to start getting a lot of Kevin's music digitally. And in order to start that, we had to remove everything from YouTube. And the estate had pretty much turned its its nose over away from, from YouTube and ignored it for all these years. And so... Um, when the estate contacted YouTube and said to to get rid of any unauthorized stuff, you know, we got a lot of blowback. A lot yeah. of people were were complaining, saying, you know, you guys are, are are killing off your promotions and stuff. Now I think people a couple of years after ha have understood why, and they understand now. The YouTube channel is going full force. We have more membership. I mean, it's growing daily. Um, the amount of content that we're putting out there is greater than has ever been before um, or have unreleased music that's coming out on the youtube channel and uh, unreleased video content all of this wouldn't be possible with all of the other unauthorized stuff out there mm -hmm. um just got a message a couple days ago from a disgruntled fan who is saying you know you guys you guys have killed yourself by removing all this content from youtube and went on and on to tell us how how it was the worst business decision ever the funny thing is, is since we removed everything from YouTube, we have since sold out of so many titles at kevingilbert.com. And we found that so many people had emailed in and said, thanks for still having this in stock, like the lamb, the lamb mm -hmm. lies down on Broadway, because they were going to YouTube and just listening to it every day. And now they actually got it and they were, oh, it has artwork. Wow. Cool. Check it out. So yeah. it actually made people come to the store and purchase it. Imagine that. So people, um, so people, you know, have caught on to it. And um, since then we have sold out of a bunch of titles. And yeah. the thing is when these titles sell out now, they're selling out and they're not being put back into print. And the goal is the end game is most likely when the Shaming of the True multi-CD set comes out, that will be the last physical release um, the last CD from mm -hmm. KevinGilbert.com. So 
Um, it's not a marketing ploy. We're telling everybody, whatever CDs are out there, grab them now. Mm -hmm. If you need a second copy, get it now because next year it may not be there. Next month right. it may not be there. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I would like to tell people that are fans of Kevin's music is that when the estate puts something out, it does have a tendency to sell out very quickly and it it doesn't pay to procrastinate when it comes to this stuff. I'm I'm very happy that I got my giraffe shirt and my giraffe box set and that kind of thing because like you said, when some of these products when they're gone, they're gone. And if you don't if you if you hesitate and him and haw about it, you're not you're gonna get left out. You you have to go for it when it becomes available. And and I think what this does is Kevin's true fans aren't going to hesitate. They're going to get in and they're going to get them right away. And, you know, sometimes he, the human element is sometimes we don't always have the the cash on hand we would like to have. Right. But yeah, I think that the the estate has done a good job of advertising in advance of this is coming. This is coming. Mm -hmm. This is coming. And letting people know this is going to happen. It's going to be limited to this number. Be ready. And And so I think that people need to you know, to follow the Facebook page and, and pay attention to what the estate is saying in advance, because that can be the difference between getting an item that you really want and, you know, getting, getting left behind. Oh yeah. And, and a lot of, a lot of thought goes into this process. See, I'm a fan. I'm still a fan of Kevin Gilbert. And that's what a lot of people sometimes ignore. They think because I have all the material here that what more do I need? But I want the physical copy. I want to see it. You know, I want to hold it in my hands. I want to go reach for it and put it into the CD player. And I just don't want to click on a digital file, even if it's, you know, a greater sound quality. I want that physical thing because I want it to get out to the people. I want everybody to, to hear what I've been hearing. So I definitely want that, you know, out there. But it's, 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 it's like a kid in a candy store. I get to make my own playlists, you know, I get to make my own playlists and, and release it to everybody else, but it's always under the guise, like we said, of what, you know, what Kevin would want, but yeah, physical releases, everything like that, grab them when, when, when they're there, it's not a ploy. As I said, I, I'm not, it's not a marketing gimmick when, when we post something saying, um, you know, something's about to go out of stock. It's to let everybody know. So nobody's mm -hmm. shocked and, you know, kevingilbert.com it's not a huge marketing uh venture there's not advertising that goes out globally in magazines or anything like that the word is out there as best possible and that's all we can do when people say you know i didn't know that you know the best of everything maxi single was coming out i didn't know that covers was coming out well my main thing to tell you is if you can just go to kevingilbert.com every day and just click on it once hit a refresh, maybe before you go to sleep, do the same thing. Maybe go to Facebook. If you, if you jump into Facebook and check the page, that's the best I can do. Cause uh, mm. uh, you know, we're really trying our hardest to get the word out there in every way possible. And like you said, we're, we're giving advance notice to people when we know the information we're trying to let people know it's kind of frustrating. You know, we post stuff on Facebook, you know, well, we'll let you guys know the date ahead of time and people right away respond. Well, what's the date? <laughs> well, we'll let you know. Yeah. Well, well when is it? <laughs> you know, all those come right after another, but we understand people are anxious and stuff yeah. like that. Reading comprehension sometimes on the internet is not what it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I would second what you said, just at least a few times a week, check out the Facebook page or check out the website and you're going to know in advance what's coming if you do that. And then also, like you mentioned, when you're getting low on stock, 
I always see the Facebook posts about that, about we're, we're, you mm -hmm. know, we're down to the last few copies of this. Yeah. If you want it, please order now. So you don't, you know, miss out. So you are trying to get these in the hands of mm -hmm. Kevin's fans. And, and that's, um, that's an important thing that you guys are doing. And, and I think that for the most part, people are, are thankful for that. I think that they appreciate it. There's always going to be those people who have put it off and maybe, uh, get left out and then they get a little upset, but they're, really they're mad at themselves because they had plenty of advanced warning in most of these cases. Here I am again with the bright lights on my face and I am lonely. A thousand screaming voices Screaming out my name and I am lonely yeah. Someone said, hey Johnny, do you still love me? And I said, baby, don't you ever use that word around me Cause I don't wanna hear it anymore And I'll tell you something, uh, let, me, let me just stop down and, and mention about pricing. People have, have criticized the estate for, for, as they say, gouging fans with some of the pricing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very delicate subject because, you know, it's, it's a boutique operation here. KevinGilbert.com, as I said, it, it's not an Amazon or, or, you know, a Best Buy even or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so every, every step of the way is, is dealt with care. And, you know, as I said, we don't just click a button, say order, you know, every, and put them on CDRs and just ship them out with, you know, with a simple sleeve or something like that. It goes, everything goes with care. The estate's not making millions of dollars off of this stuff. If, if you add everything up, the shirt you're wearing, if you add up the production cost for that, you know, we only made, you know, 30, 40 shirts. It was just to get them out to the fans that wanted those shirts. You know, we mm -hmm. didn't make 200 of them and leave them in stock or anything like that. Um, but just in the last, you know, couple of years, we released the giraffe box set. That was only $35. Uh, the Call Me Kai set was $25 for four CDs. Um, and with all of this with packaging, you know. Yeah. And we released a couple of Thud shirts. We did a whole line of Thud 25th anniversary, you know, shirt, hat, beanie, all this stuff like that. A couple of new Shaming of the True shirts came in stock. Uh, we did a Best of Everything maxi single. So we're trying to put as many products out there for the fans to get the physical form while they can. It's not to make money. Each product pays for the next product. If we sell a shirt, that pays for the next shirt. You, you know what I'm saying? All sure. Of these fall in line like that so um the draft box set sold out within within a month that enabled us to to make the wallet set and you know things like that and so we we, we knew the draft box that would sell out we just didn't know the demand to make the wallet set so we had that ready to go it's just you know these are the things that we're already thinking of ahead of time right um, you know with with this vinyl project we already have thought about other things in the future. You know, people question us and say like, hey, how about this album? Would you think about doing this on vinyl? And we just sit back and go, you know, like, yeah, we've already thought about all, there's nothing, I, I really can say there's not one bit of info that someone can suggest that we haven't thought about in any yeah. way, shape or form. I mean, we really have turned over everything and 
and the last few years that's that's kind of what we've been doing um since thud was released we kind of went back into the cave and kind of figured out the end game for releasing all this stuff so right now you are seeing the the plan being implemented yeah i'm a little surprised that there's been pushback on the pricing considering i mean if you go even right now if you go to amazon which is you know a huge mega corporation that it can be a loss leader it moves product it that you know they order by the millions in some cases if you look up the new ac the latest acdc album and see what they're they're charging for that i think i don't think that these kevin gilbert prices are are completely out of whack well it, it, it's it's interesting because like i said there's there's the people who they think it's out of whack because they don't buy physical product so they're looking at at a at a CD set, you know, a draft CD set at thirty five dollars, and they're saying, "Just give me the CDs for ten bucks, uh, you know, digitally." So, so that that's where we're trying to have to meet halfway in certain things, but it's it's a very, it's a very difficult. Like I said, it's a it's very difficult to try to to. It's a seesaw. You just mm -hmm. you just you know when you get the you get the people who are happy, then you're going to get the people who are upset about it. But there's it's it's. It's a small operation. That's all I can say. And we're doing big, big work. Mm -hmm. uh, when this limited edition and the standard edition of Shame of the True Vinyl comes out, I think people will look at it and it, it's going to stand up right up against any Warner Brothers, any Sony product, anything like that. Um, it's just, it's really top notch. Uh, we went in and for the first time ever since since 1999 went into the lyrics and with a fine tooth comb picked out every incorrect lyric and put every correct lyric in there so for the first time you guys are actually going to see all the correct names spellings everything like that for you know songs like fun um and uh smash everything like that so it, it's going to be good so i think people when they think about cost it's just going to be in the back of their head after mm -hmm. um we are still going to be running crowdfunding now. I don't know if you know. We ran crowdfunding items, and what it was was we have a bunch of stuff from Kevin's archives here. Um, some things are products, some are his handwritten items, some are autographs, things like that. So they've just been sitting in the vault in the archive. So a couple of years ago, I went through and I kind of shopping cart, you know, pulled things out. Um, clean things up, checked them out. And so we've been through the years um, offering handwritten lyrics. Um, we're going to be offering some track sheets from the actual master tapes, but we've had a product that's gone out of stock, the the original giraffe CDs we've put. Um, and we do it in a, in a, in a kind of an email in and, and fixed price. And we'll kind of, we'll pick the, the amount that we have allocated and so we've gotten some blowback on that because, you know, some of those prices, we, we price them at collector market value. So uh, test pressings, we're going to have Shaming of the True test pressings coming out. Those are going to be marked probably, you know, around $400. But we don't just give you a test pressing in a, in a standard envelope that it comes in. We make it its own product. We package it up. It has items in there that you can't get anywhere. It's going to have different garments. It's going to have something that you're going to look at and say, wow, this is one of 10 products in the world. And this is worth that. And we price it like that because, you know, if we priced it for 40 bucks, 50 bucks, 60 bucks, we found people will take it 
and immediately send it to a secondary market for hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. So we're setting the price. We're setting the collector market value. And if you want to sell it at that pr price or more later on, that's it's up to you. But the estate's doing that uh, for the fans because so many fans wanted, like I said, handwritten lyrics or we, we did thud autographed um, LP flats, things like that. Uh, from Kevin and you know where are you going to get an autographed Kevin item you know 25 30 years later so yeah exactly so Kevin Gilbert Shaming of the True this is an album that was released in I believe 2000 and uh, I wondered it's been released a few times which one do I have it's the uh, sort of digipack with uh, no spine writing right that one's the um the foil stamp edition and that one is that one's the original mastering and what what happened with that uh, just so people know is originally there was there was a set of discs that were ordered and then booklets that were ordered and inlay trays that were ordered and they all got assembled well we were talking about ordering quantities they had to order a certain set of quantities especially back in the year 2000 or 1999 so there was there was a couple of spindles left over of those mm -hmm. So instead of just keeping them in storage and just sitting there, we thought, well, why don't we put up a new little package and get it out to people? You know, people wanted the original mastering. So there it is. The multi-disc set that comes out is going to have fresh mastering. You know, that, that, that thing's going to be really, really good. So okay. is that um, the fourth time this album has been mastered? Um, I think it'll be the fifth. Wait, we got, if I can go by memory, I think it was year 2000, 2008. 2011 and yeah this will be the fourth so yes so yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of work uh, oh yeah I... and in the in the you are here episode that drops around the same time that this one does um john cunaberti and nick DiVirgilio, they go into the you know the the efforts that went into to doing the shaming of the true and, and john cunaberti talks about the mastering and how he approaches each one mm -hmm. and what he does the differences that he does in it so it's a pretty good episode i think it's it's actually uh, i keep saying this every time I, I do an episode but it turns into my favorite episode just because of uh, you know as a fan i get excited again you know and, and i know all these answers i know almost you know 90 percent of the answers that they give me i know them already but to have it in one episode and to be able to put all the multimedia content in there for the fans the audio and, and the, you know the photos and everything like that um that's the package that i love and that's you know when i when i finish putting it together you know it's not an ego thing or anything like that i just look at it and go there that's for the fans that's what kevin would have liked here you go right like when you when you put out your nick de virgilio uh interview i forget which episode it was but you'll actually insert archival footage rare footage you can't be seen really anywhere else of thud the band thud playing um in the studio and uh you know that's that's really a unique treat for kevin gilbert fans yeah you know we for years we've toyed around and we've got approached about doing a documentary about kevin and nothing seemed to hit right the mark right um about five years ago we were approached from a very prominent video director someone who's been in the industry i mean You've seen videos by this this guy from the top artists um, in the all through the eighties, especially. And it's just it's just the timing's just not right. And the most difficult thing is you have to interview everybody for a documentary. You have to get in there. You have to talk to you know all the all the parties, good and bad. 
So for those people to agree to it, to get in there, to do all that, it started to be an unsurmountable task. So I had the idea to then come up with you are here. We put everything into 30 minute to one hour mini documentary style interviews. And so we, we approached that and we formatted it. And like I said, we have about three years worth of formatted shows that are, that are formatted and written and ready to go. About four of them are in the can. A few of them were waiting um, on some parties to reunite with us and things are looking good. So you will see a lot of these characters and I say characters because they're, they're characters in these albums and you will see a lot of these musicians on you are here coming up this year musicians that you haven't seen in interviews that mm -hmm. you haven't seen go and that's another thing we try to hit as many people who haven't done the interview circuit you know there, there's a bunch of kevin gilbert um musicians colleagues who you've you've heard them you've heard them you know you've heard nick DiVirgilio a ton of times well we had to interview him because he's he was kevin's right hand man at the end but um, we're trying to tap into a lot of people who were behind the scenes that that haven't had a voice yet, who haven't had face and camera time. So um, we're trying to give recognition to as many people as possible with as much time as we can. My name is Johnny Virgil, and I'm going to be a star. I'm going to get my share of fame. Everybody's gonna love me Everybody's gonna care Everyone will know my name I've been listening to Dylan I've been listening to the dead And I've been listening to the music That plays inside my head I've been listening to the Beatles I've been listening to the Who And they don't know it yet But they're gonna listen to me too So this album, uh, Kevin passed in 96 and had already been working on this album, obviously it didn't come out to 2000, but John Rubin, who's a friend and, and manager of Kevin had asked John Cuniberti and, and Nick DiVirgilio to, to sort of finish archive, catalog the music for the estate, a process that wasn't easy because sometimes there weren't notes or track sheets that were detailed can you just describe that process of, of what it was like for those guys to go into the studio um and go through the tapes and find everything first of all and then to try to use kevin whatever notes kevin did leave behind on how to construct this album yeah they 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 had a big task because uh kevin wasn't good with um notations he wasn't good with leaving notes with uh doing a lot of uh organized cataloging himself so even when i jumped into the archives you will find some giraffe music and at the end of that dat is all of a sudden something from shaming of the true from 96 and it's just because kevin used as much tape as possible mm -hmm. he used you know he threw things he flew things in from one tape or one console or one format into another he got something on dat and put it into multi-track and back and forth and so, so they had to face a lot of this stuff. They had to go through and see what was usable, what wasn't. And um, in the UR Here episode, we hit a lot of that. And they, they talk about how it, they weren't able to even listen to some of these songs for a year after because 
they couldn't even get it ready to that point. Mm-hmm. They had to to get them these these tapes. They had to 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 take them with care and you know take them to an actual audio facility and have them reconstructed. So it was a big task, and you know I've faced a lot of that with the archives. There's there's so many things in there that are just disjointed, that are out of place, that are you know, recorded in one year, finished in another. A lot of the shaming of the truth started in, in the 80s, you know, in the late 80s. So there's some tracks like that where Kevin would erase on the fly. So some of these mixes that we have, they're the only mixes in existence. So some were on cassette tape, some were on uh, DAT, some were, you know, on two-track tape, but they had to do a lot. And when we release the multi-disc shaming, how it's formatting right now is that the, the first disc is the, the shaming of the true proper, as we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Disc number two is going to be the 1993 rough draft from Kevin in its entirety untouched. I mean, we're, we're remastering it for Sonics, but it's, it's untouched. And then however remaining discs, we're still unsure however remaining discs, um, but those are going to be kind of like the thud format where it's they're going to be the track listing you know reinvented with different versions and alternate mixes and there is there are unreleased songs on there there Mm -hmm. are songs that kevin had um and this is where my research through 15 years of doing it has taken us is there's track listings in there that kevin had that were the best I can describe was they were written one place and continued in another. And we're talking notebooks. So I was able to, to marry these things together and to form the ultimate track listing with songs that people didn't even know Kevin had for Shaming of the Truth. Yeah. So th- there's multiple stories. Wow. So Kevin, um, obviously he, had, he contributed vocals, guitar, bass, piano, keyboards, programming, sequencing, to this album, um, there was still a lot of music that needed to be filled in. And Nick DiVirgilio plays drums, bass, percussion, guitar, keyboards, backing vocals. Uh, Brian McLeod also contributed some drums here. There's Tommy Dunbar, um, Ross Parrish, David Levita, Bill Buttrell, all contributing guitars. There's a lot of musicians involved with this. How much recording uh, time really was required to finish off this album. And we can't forget Stan Cody. He's been added to the credits. Stan mm. Cody is a 11th hour edition. So that some of my research has brought that forth and giving some of these musicians who it, they weren't overlooked. It's just, they, we didn't know that they were on there. You know, mm-hmm. Kevin didn't tell us, <laughs> he didn't have it written down. So, but um, they had to go in and re-record some stuff. Um, a certain amount of things and it was based off of their executive decisions about the, you know, as associate producers, what do they need to do to flesh out the music? So when they had to go in and do like Nick had to, you know, do some acoustic guitar, some bass, some drums, all stuff like that. They had to add more to smash. Kevin had started smash and they, they had a rough working of it. And when he passed away, they, they continued it. So they, they, they spent a lot of time recording. You know, Dave Levita did a, a solo on the way back home. Uh, Russ does his killer solo in Smash. So all these things were, you know, after Kevin had passed. But as far as time-wise, it was over the course of a couple of years. So, you know, as they got to a track, if they needed to attack it, then 
come on in and, and play some acoustic guitar, come on in and play, you know, shaker, whatever it needed to be. So um, it's hard to pinpoint how much time it's just over the course of a couple of years, they had right. these people, you know, coming in. Gotta tell you about this because I'm very excited about it. It's got tattoos, it's got a pierced hood, it's got Generation X. It's got lesbians and vitriol and sadomasochistic latex sex. It's got mighty morphing, power brokers, Tanya Harding nude, macrobiotic, lacto-vegan, non-confrontational, free-range food. It's got the handshake, peace talk, non-aggression pact, a multicultural, interracial, non-segregated You mentioned a certifiable number one smash. There's, I don't know how much you can really put into what's on Wikipedia, but the the the, the entry there says that the there wasn't a usable studio vocal, so they used the vocal from the Live at the Troubadour uh, release. You can like you can even hear the the audience responding to things that Kevin says during the yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, no, and they definitely go in and describe that, but it's um, it's it's it lends itself um, to the song because the way the song is structured, that vocal actually stands out prominently with those, you know, you can hear a couple of screams like you're saying here and there. Mm -hmm. And that actually adds to the theme of that, that song. It, now, if that were a, if, if it was, for example, the way back home or best laid plans, something like that, that that was a live version that they tried to take the vocals off, it may not have translated as well. I don't think um, it's because of the content, the lyrical content. I think that that's that was the best way that it could be done, and and it, and they they hit it out of the park with that. I think. Yeah. What it, I was curious about was when you get a song like Image Maker, and there's that that part that Nick sings that mm -hmm. where he comes in. Was that something that was already written by Kevin and not recorded? Was it, was there a rough vocal that didn't work? How does, because I, I love the way Nick's voice just kind of flies in there and, and completes that song. Right. Yeah, no. Uh, and that was another one of those, their executive, you know, decisions that they made. Uh, Kevin did have a vocal in it. Was it a usable multi-track vocal that they could go in there and mess with? Were they able to go in there and grab it? And then it just didn't work with the other vocals that he had re-recorded over. I don't know, but it works, like you say, and that's the main thing. If Kevin's would have been in there, maybe that portion wouldn't have stood out to you or to other fans. And maybe that's what they wanted to convey that little portion more than the rest of the song or mm -hmm. added to the song. So um, 
there's there's other things like the way back home uh nick's doubling kevin's vocals almost all the way through and i bring it up again that multi-disc shaming is gonna have some elements that that you're gonna your jaw is gonna be dropped on because you will hear, hear the cold duck rap from kevin you'll hear um you'll hear a bunch of cool stuff and i can't i want to tell you it all right now i want to say you know because that's that's the fan of me coming out saying oh my god i can't wait till you hear this but i can't pimp too much out because you know the more i say the more my email inbox starts rattling because people oh man come on when's this coming out when's this coming out when's this coming out so you know you know I'm I'm not someone who wants to hold this stuff back. I'd love for everyone to hear it right now, but it'll come in time and it'll be it'll be really cool. It's you know this this sh- shaming of the true LP set. It's cool and I'm excited about that. You know every product that comes out. I mean you know my eyes go big and everything like that. And, and as I said, it's a kid in a candy store right here. But um, all the content coming out this year, if people want to read something into that, all the content coming out this year is insanely good and i'm not saying that because i help produce it mm-hmm. um it's not a sales pitch no 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 because like it sells itself i don't mm-hmm. have to, you know really michael i don't have to put it up on notice and, and say buy this buy this the amount of product that we manufacture for kevin and the amount of fans that there are it sells itself however we want to get the word out to the other people who are your friends someone who maybe listens to this show that i kind of heard of kevin gilbert or you know maybe i heard steve lukath or mike portnoy talking about him or something like so we want to make sure those people get a disc when it's available you know that that's the main thing that's when when they're available right now and Mm -hmm. so that that's our advertising is grab it now as you were saying you know these things these one and done deals so grab it so this story of of this album about a, a musician named Johnny Virgil mm-hmm. and in the finished product, the, the album that came out, this is a standard tale of wide-eyed musician dreaming of being a big star goes out to Hollywood. You know, he's in LA he meets the, the record execs. They're all, you know, very welcoming and, and telling him all the things that he wants to hear. And then of course, you know, you don't need your band. We just want you. And and uh, how about if we change basically everything about you and just take what we want from you? And 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 sort of that grinder that you know, sort of it's. I mean, some stereotypes are stereotypes because they're true. Because many musicians went through this, where they were put right. through this meat grinder of the music industry, and and everything about them was lost, even if they were successful. And then in the end, they realize this is not who I am. And then they they sort of, but that's that's the tale. It's an old tale. But um, is that, you mentioned like sort of other elements to the story. Was there a much bigger, broader story originally? Or, or was it just different pieces of the story? And this was the, the most streamlined way to do it. Um, they went off of Kevin's last known track list. So what i've uncovered is uh, probably probably a good at least dozen or so 12 to 15 track lists of kevin's um for the shaming of the true i'm cautious on how i say it because a lot of this stuff's coming out in the multi-disc set and so everyone's going to see it but these track listings some of them were done in play format with you know scene one two, three. 
So he had a block of songs, a scene one, scene two, and so on. Other ones were a different type of story, the same shaming of the true storyline, but it went to different places. It had demos in it. It had more of his career involved in it. And Johnny Virgil, not Kevin's. It was, right, you know, right. more of Johnny's struggles. Um, we have a version that's a very abrasive version that starts off with Parade and goes into a song called They Made a Monster When They Made Me. And then it goes into City of the Sun. And when you hear that version, it just slams your face. Because, I mean, it, it they Johnny's destroyed instantly. Johnny's destroyed right after Parade. So they made a monster immediately. And then the rest of the story is Johnny's story coming out of being a monster. So it's, it takes you into different worlds. Yeah. So all that stuff's going to be, you know, a year from now, when we talk about, when we talk again about the multi-disc set, you're going to go, Oh, I remember what you were saying. I remember that now. Yeah. Now it makes sense. So. Yeah. I'm not going to go into every track, but there's definitely some album highlights. Parade is a very hopeful acoustic song. Johnny's full of optimism at the beginning. And like I said, he's going to be a star. City of the Sun is uh, a, a, a Johnny is meets a has been musician at a gas station. I love the I love the specificity. Kevin doesn't just give you the generics. He he is he's specific. It, it, he adds detail to the story. He calls it a Texaco. It's a Texaco station. All right, um, and it shows his brilliance as a lyricist with lines like, "I didn't want to see him see himself in me." love that line yeah. and that's a line that i mean most musicians couldn't come up with something like that Yeah, no, and the, the the you said just those little elements, the detail, the 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 old station bell that rings when you used to come into a, a gas station, you know, yeah. when you used to drive. He includes that little bell in there when he talks about the Texaco station. Those little things like that, those are the key elements that make um, a Kevin Gilbert song a Kevin Gilbert song. Mm -hmm. And the lyrical content, of course, I mean that's a Kevin Gilbert fan. You listen for the music, you listen for the lyrics, but you really get into those lyrics. Yeah. And you know, that that's something that that you tapped into. And in in so many of these Shaming of the True songs, you hear these elements and you listen with headphones. Oh my goodness, the suit suit fugue, you hear everything swirling around you. Um, Long Day's Life, the piano, just it's so beautifully done. You just hear that. The sonic elements that Kevin achieved were just fabulous. And what John Cunaberti did in mastering and extracting all those elements and, and honing in on those is just, it's superb. Yeah. The phone machine recording at the end of, of uh, city of the sun is fantastic. A great touch. Again, 
tells the story. This obviously could have been a musical film. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you mentioned that he wrote it sort of in screenplay or, or uh, whatever um, format at times. Um, the suit few you mentioned, a very gentle, giant-like weaving of vocals. I'm sure that every time I listen to that, I catch something different. Yeah. Uh, it's just very complex the way it's it's all woven together. Johnny Virgil is, is already being in the process of being destroyed here. Image Maker even further being remade. I already mentioned Nick's vocal in the middle of the song, really making it a nice touch. Uh, Wander, Water Under the Bridge sort of is where Johnny is finishing the, the selling of his soul and just giving himself over completely a very Genesis vibe in the final instrumental section there. been a lot of talk about uh, Kevin had an opportunity to become a member of Genesis and, and was in the running for that. What do you know about that story? Ah, the old tale of, of Genesis, huh? <laughs> the tale goes that John Rubin was running over to his, his apartment and sadly found Kevin dead to tell him, you got the audition for Genesis. Well, it's not true. It's mm -hmm. a fable and we're preparing a show, a You Are Here show about the Genesis era. Kevin sent and had had people send um, tapes to the Genesis management. He sent them to Peter Gabriel. And we have those letters. We have those tapes. We have all that stuff. We'll get into it more back then. I'm not trying to, to lead on or anything like that, but there's still a few people we need to just talk to and figure out a couple of pieces. He never had an audition for them. He, mm -hmm. he wasn't going to audition for them per se, but they were well aware of who he was. So let's just okay. say that. And of course, Nick actually did play on a Genesis album. So there's a tie in there. The best laid plans sounds to me like if, if, you know, if, if Kevin hadn't passed this song sounds like a single to me, sounds like something that would have been released maybe as a single.
Oh yeah, I would have loved to have heard that live. That's probably one of the songs from Shaming that I would have loved to have hear him heard him do live. I heard a couple of songs from Shaming the True live at the end of the Thud tour. He did um, a few songs that weren't on any albums. I mean, at the end of the Thud tour, he was doing Miss, you know, uh, Miss Broadway. Mm-hmm. He was doing Pretty, City of the Sun, and Smash. Right there, those are four songs that had that were unreleased, and he was f- filling his shows with it. So. Um, the last few shows, they were just kicking because you just got some new stuff from Kevin. Uh, I really wish he would have done Best Laid Plans. You know, Nick just said they he chose some song that Kevin chose some songs that he just liked from Shaming, and they went mm-hmm. with it. And they sounded different back then. You know, um, City of the Sun was a little bit a different vibe, but um, but yeah, I would have loved to have heard Best Laid Plans. The one that stands out to me and and is fun. It's a it's an extremely cynical song. Johnny has sunk into substance abuse and and there's a lot of hangers on that maybe aren't the best people for Johnny to be around and that kind of thing. And it, it is a very pointed poke at uh, a song that that Kevin had a hand in writing, All I Want to Do, which was you know made popular by Sheryl Crow. I don't want to get into any of the sordid details of, of their you know involvement, but it it's there are a few songs in his in his uh, catalog in, in Kevin's catalog that you know where his his um, his feelings do come out about um, their time together in, in Tuesday Music Club Tuesday Night Music Club. What uh, what can you tell us of his sort of overarching view? And, and again, I don't want to get into any details, but his overarching view of of that um, the end of that relationship. It's always funny talking about Cheryl Crow in Kevin Gilbert <laughs> interviews because you don't know which way it's going to go. You don't know if the, you know, and, and it's no, if, nothing on you. It's just you don't know how it's going to be approached, you know, yeah. because there, there's sometimes people, the interviewer will take their own personal approach to it and, and kind of lead you into that. You know, they want to hear something or they want to. So, no, thank you for for giving me the, the forum to have at will. But um, Kevin had a lot um, of emotion for Cheryl. And a lot what i guess how i should approach this question is from the archivist um viewpoint from not telling you what kevin wrote personally in his notebooks about the situation but maybe an overview of uh, an assessment of of it maybe you know if if i were a psycho you know psychological major and just could evaluate him through his writings and through what i heard uh firsthand and everything like that Kevin loved Cheryl and they both had an undying love for each other. One that became unhealthy for both, for both parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, an unhealthy obsession, not in stalker form, but just, you know, keeping appraised of what the other's doing uh, musically in a competitive way. 
and uh, that, that that's unhealthy because you're constantly measuring yourself with someone else. And it, it's okay if, if it betters yourself, but if it's bringing you down, then it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. So um, Kevin's medicine was making a song. That was his, his, his healthy way to do it. Right. He his could, coping mechanism. Yeah. He could, yeah. he could do it in a song. So he did that. And there are a few songs in there. There's a couple of unreleased songs about Sheryl Crow that will not see the light of day just because of their, their, the state they're in. But there's nothing bad about them, if, if I can say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're a moment of time. They are a place in history. The Beatles wrote about each other after they, they, they broke up. Mm-hmm. You, know, you ask him about that now, or you, know, you ask Paul McCartney about it now, and he, no, I love John. You know, things like that. And people, people cope with things when it, it hurts and they do it the way they, they feel they need to. And, um, and they move on. Unfortunately, Kevin's not here to move on. His feelings aren't here to be heard. So right now we only have Sheryl Crow. And the unfortunate part of that, if I may, is that a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, I feel, comes from the fan perspective um, yes the fans have built up this this wall that is almost unsurmountable from my side of things think about it for me wouldn't you want to hear show crow on you are here talking about her time in toy matinee yeah absolutely i don't care who she kissed i don't care who kevin kissed that doesn't matter for the music that I'm listening to or the history of their performances on stage. If, if that led to, to heartache in a song or a better song, great. But I just want that song and I want to know about it. And because of this conflict and because of the strife that has been in there, it's been a battle and, 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 and it's my job is 10 times and a hundred times harder to do uh, because of that. Yeah. And, I just want to say that Kevin wasn't a saint for all the things that, that people want to complain about Sheryl Crow for, and they have every right to do it if that's their opinion, but are they forming their opinion off of something that's based off of fact or off of just their emotion? And, you know, Kevin, Kevin got rid of the giraffe guys to jump in a toy matinee. We talked about that in, in the you are here episode with giraffe when thud came out, Nick got Nick and Russ and no longer did he have toss and Corky. So this happens in the music industry. Why are people championing Kevin Gilbert against Sheryl Crow? It's because he's not here. It's because that's their hero. And I understand that. I totally get it, but enough's enough. Yeah. You know, it's been 25, 30 years. Um, The main thing I want to say is, Kevin still worked with Cheryl. They did the Joker in 1995. Kevin loved Cheryl. And so for everybody who wants to say that, you know, they're, they're, they may not have had a great relationship at the end, but what was formed and the songs that you're hearing were based off of that love and off of those relationships and that affection. Yeah. You wouldn't have gotten those songs if they didn't have that relationship. Yeah. And this is why, you know, when I ask for an overview, it's because... I care way more about the music than I do about the, the, the details. Nobody's 
nobody's hands are clean when it comes to you know romantic relationships i think uh, you know throughout your uh, your lifetime so it you know and i have seen some of the animosity from kevin fans that uh, blame Cheryl for many, many things and many problems and, and many of, of the things that they see him, see her as having held, held him back or have stolen from him, everything. And it's, to me, that's always been between those two. And we got the music we got from both of those artists. And when they were together, we got music from both of them. And, and that's more what I care about, especially in the context of this show. So you get a song like fun, you get a song like leaving Miss Broadway. Um, you know, and these are the these are the things, I guess, the positive side effects of, of you know, relationships that don't go according to plan. And most don't, <laughs> you know, there, there's and I'll, I'll straightforward. There's songs with Kevin and Cheryl, acoustic songs, full songs. There's unreleased stuff that can't see the light of day with people hating Cheryl and mm. publicly saying all that stuff. So so think about it. We approach her, her camp and we tell them you know, let's create a partnership here. Let's get this music release that, that was made in 1991, 92. Let's get this out here. All right, let's do it. So, so now they come check out all our stuff. They go to the fan pages, they go, you know, do their due diligence. And now they see, let's do a, a search for Cheryl Crow and Kevin Gilbert and all these fan pages. What's happening here? Oh, recent talk. What's all that? Nope. We just don't want this negativity. Goodbye. Yeah, That's kind of what we're faced with, you know? Yeah. So, it's a lot of toxicity online about it. it and it's a, it doesn't need to be. It's in other words, why do you need, still need to talk about anything from that? It's just talk about the good music. Just talk about those times. You know, why do you want to bring why, why do you have to bring up any of that pain or any of that stuff like that? You know, it's just it doesn't make sense. It's do you still want to talk about a, a divorce you had twenty years ago? Do you still want to talk about that marriage that you had twenty years ago that you're no longer in? No, get over it. Yeah, well, I appreciate you answering that question very very thorough thoroughly and thoughtfully, uh, Wayne. Well, there, there's a lot of stuff that if, if people would just think about it and not go forward with the passion, and, and if they thought about it before they typed it out, before they wrote it, I will say there would be a lot more Kevin Gilbert music released. And that's not because of the estate. Mm -hmm. That's because of other parties. Yeah. So. Yeah. And some of the parties that you, like you mentioned earlier, you'd like to do a, or the estate would like to do a Kevin Gilbert full length a documentary and one of the things you're going to need for that is is to get parties involved that you know if the if the fans are going to create problems you maybe aren't going to be able to get those people right and it's because you know some people may say well it's only one or two vocal people are ruining it for others that's ridiculous mm -hmm. well it's the internet those one or two vocal people get shared another place another place and it just permeates and so mm -hmm. you know at a certain point you just go do we want to deal with that? No, let's go to something that we know is going to be more positive. Let's let's go to something that we know is not going to have a problem. So, yeah. but you're missing out on Tuesday Music Club. You're missing out on two years of Kevin's life, two and a half years that could be touched and 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 broached, and we could have music from that and possibly music. I'm not saying it would be you know guaranteed, but we would be able to have those conversations with people and and be able to sit down and and, and be one big happy family. You know to just step down kevin had repaired his relationship with with um patrick leonard in kevin's notes there's there's um in his diaries and his, his journals there's meetings that they had uh, they were talking about bringing a toy matinee or get, doing another project kevin saw him at a, i think it was a pink floyd concert uh, at the forum in la and you know just like oh there's patrick hey you know this and that um 
So it wasn't like there was just, you know, after 1990, there was just a separation and, you know, I don't know who you are type of thing. There were, there were things going on behind the scenes that, that people aren't aware of that relationships that were still, you know, that, that were still being, you know, connected. Like I said, Sheryl Crow in 1995 doing the Joker with Kevin, that's on our cover CD. And people are shocked and going, wait a minute, he was working with Cheryl in 95. You know, it's like, yeah, think about it. I mean, put, put, you know, put it all together. Yeah. You gave a great example with the Beatles. Sometimes time fixes that stuff. And what Kevin didn't have was time. Well, what I feel, the things that I thought of in 1996, I, I put them up to me now. I probably don't think the same way. Exactly. We all, we all, we all go through changes. We're, we're a work in progress. Everybody is. So one thing I wanted to mention about that I love about certifiable number one smash is the, the sort of monologue where he's describing the music video and he's very pointedly um, satirizing Madonna's like a prayer video. Just brilliant the way he does it. I got to tell you about the video idea. You're really going to love this. We start out in one of these rural churches in the middle of Alabama somewhere and they're having this gigantic rave up gospel church festival with fat women with their hands in the air yelling amen and hallelujah and our boy our hero he's right in the middle of it in religious fervor just exploding off of his body behind the altar of this church there's this gigantic icon of black Jesus Christ who our boy later licks smash cut to him on a hillside dancing wildly, half naked, with his undulating midriff sweating profusely in front of hundreds and hundreds of burning crosses. Smash cut back to the church, only now it's not a church, right? It's a courtroom, and the priest has become a judge, and the choirs become the jury, and black Jesus is on trial for raping our boy. I just wondered, since you knew Kevin, had you ever heard of him talking about that particular video because it it was a very controversial video when it came out well we talked about that song actually which is pretty funny no one's ever asked me about that i don't think i've ever told anybody about this um at the troubadour gig back his the last troubadour show he did and i think it was october in 1995 i just went as a fan for this one i, I went as a friend actually on this one thing i didn't i didn't bring my camera i didn't do you know i just went and he invited me to the show backstage after I started talking about smash because he played it that night. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you, you described Madonna's video and we're sitting there and, you know, and, and Jonathan Brooks performing down there, you know, you can hear all this stuff going on and Kevin's just going on and on. It's so excited that I realized that it was Madonna's video and he was talking about it. And, you know, he said, yeah, he goes, she's probably going to hate that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know if she's ever heard that, that, you know, that description, but it, it's pretty funny. So yeah, I did. Talk to him about that. That's great. So there was a lyrical foreshadowing to the way back home in From Here to There. Uh, the album then kind of completes uh, Johnny's sort of journey with, the you know, you go through the ghetto of beautiful things and a long day's life. Johnny becomes this world weary guy who's starting to identify that he's not the person he was uh, in the way back home kind of talks about that a bit. And then Johnny's last song comes uh, after the fact. Johnny is is out of the business. He's older. He hears uh, his songs on the radio and that kind of thing. And, and that's also a callback to parade. What I, I think was interesting about Johnny's last song was that uh, the story goes that Kevin went outside the studio on the street to record it. He, he recorded uh, actual rain and the, the train whistle himself. 
People sometimes ask me for the secret of success. I tell them what I know. Believing what you're doing, remember who you are, and who knows where you'll go. you know about that particular yeah, the, track the, all the, the rain and train whistle they're definitely in the archives you know that rain goes on forever he did a lot of sound effects like that there's some people if you ask other musicians who work with them they might tell you about the lawnmower cricket there was a cricket in lawnmower and garden studios um that's kevin's studio and you know it's probably a different cricket each time but you you're doing a recording session and you hear this cricket and it was it was it was on to go find that cricket because that's cricket's going to mess up your recording. So if you're doing a piano, all of a sudden, you know, you hear this chirping, you got to find that cricket. So Kevin recorded the cricket one day. So there's, there's some cricket <laughs> sounds and all that stuff. Um, but basically anything that he thought was interesting, he recorded to use or not use. There's a bunch of stuff that's in the can that he just never used. He used sound effects and uh, he used uh, interludes and monologues to, to join songs and giraffe albums. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff that was laying in the studio, you know, prior. But uh, as far as that, um, the cricket noise and the rain at the end, those are effects that 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 were applied. And there are there there are versions without that are just clean. And we'll get to that, you know, with the multi disc set. You were mentioning smash, we also have a version coming out with a different monologue. It's, Ooh. it's, um, it was done by by comedian Bobby Slayton. And he went ahead and did that, came into the studio, came into Lawnmower and Garden and, and did that. And it was virtually unused, but it will see its home with the multi-disc set. Oh, it's interesting. So Johnny at the end uh, speaks from experience when he says, believe in who you are and uh, brings this whole uh, story to a close. Really an enjoyable album. Do you, Wayne, have a favorite track from uh, Shaming? Yeah, but if you ask me tomorrow and it's different, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, I get this, I get asked this probably the most, you know, what's your favorite Kevin Gilbert song? And then what's your favorite song from each album? Those are probably, and, you know, I, I used to be able to pinpoint it and I used to be able to, to fly off and immediately tell you, you know, Caviar was my biggest Kevin Gilbert album to listen to. That was, Thud is my baby, what I call it, because that was my home, I, you know, I shot photos in and around that era with Kevin. Thud was my baby, but Caviar was was the daddy. You know, that was the 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 guy. Doing all this archiving, I can't pick a favorite one because mm-hmm. each one has become it's an adopt it's an adopted kid for me. You know, they're Kevin's babies, but I've adopted them. And um I can tell you why I love certain songs but it's becoming more and more difficult to pinpoint what my favorite song is for shaming i i suppose it would today it would be best laid plans mixed in with water under the bridge uh, and th- those are just because of what i've been archiving and what i've uncovered and what i've what i've gone through with this mm-hmm. like i said it comes be- it becomes personal for me at a point because you know i'm not fighting to put a song on there i can choose that song and put it on there what I'm fighting with is why can't I put the other songs on there that are just as good? 
So, so it's really, I have my own, you know, personal favorites and stuff like that. But, you know, years ago, Ghetto of Beautiful Things was my favorite from, from Shaming of the True. Windows full of skeezy androgynous guys in tight leather vests and, and girls with fishnet pantyhose that never smile at me. It's, it's a wide range. When the multi-disc set comes out, ask me then, because I'll tell you what my favorite song is then that I can't tell you now. But uh, I think everybody is going to have new favorite songs and not saying that the shaming we know isn't pure and good. But I think after having it for 20 years, when you hear some of these other songs fresh and new, I think they're going to come into your your playlists and have a new home in it. Yeah. As someone who knew Kevin was a friend of Kevin's, when a new product gets released, how does that how do, how do you feel about that? Is there a sense of pride that this is is finally coming to light? Um Yes, but there's also an emptiness because it's difficult for me because um it's probably the most, I don't know, I can't say it's the most difficult for me out of, you know, John and everyone who does the artwork and, and the audio and stuff like that. But for me, this was my job for Kevin. This, my job was to present him with, with things and get his approval, get his attention and, and to, to guide him towards the fans with what I thought would be worthy. Not, and, and mind you, not what I personally would like but what I think overall the fan base would like. And, and that, that's, that's a fine line because I can't choose just what I want to do. I have to look at it on what the overall fan base would like as a whole based off of the criteria of what Kevin would do. So presenting a finished product to Kevin, we can't do that. All I can do is hope that he would like it. And we start off by doing that, as I told you, but when the finished product comes out, it can be emotional and it has at times because, mm-hmm. you know, when Thud came out, Kevin wanted that on vinyl. I mean, he made the album in album length for vinyl. So it was bittersweet having it, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's emotional at times getting the shaming of the true when they arrived and I started opening them you know, I had to stop because Kevin's not here and you just have to kind of take it back, you know, a step and kind of go, ah, you know, sure. just kind of just hold, hold kind of like that, that lump in your throat and just kind of move on. So, yeah. and it's difficult. It's difficult when you, you know, it's difficult for me because um, I have to suppress that emotion and sometimes that pain, you know, when we're doing these episodes of you are here because I have to step out of my own personal you know, convictions or my own thoughts and stuff. And I have to go, okay, 
straightforward i'm the newscaster here i gotta you know present this and you know you just gotta be straight you know and but it's difficult sometimes it's difficult it's difficult tapping into the to some of their the relationships with some of his his colleagues some are still don't want to talk about it yeah and some you know some want to definitely talk about it now whereas they didn't want to talk about it 20 years ago so it's 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 very emotional in every aspect and you know it's it's just difficult at times but i think he'd be happy with everything that we've done and and that's why everything is produced as it is and that's why there's not 400 t-shirts and 700 hats and there's not a pen set and there's not action figures and there's not you know it's there, there's not a whole promotional gamut going on here it's we're trying to get everything out that kevin would have wanted and that the fans like so yeah, i think yeah. he would be happy with with the legacy that's that's there yeah i think so too so as uh we mentioned sometimes these these kevin gilbert products uh, uh they they go and then they don't come back is there anything right now that you can tell us is getting scarce that people should jump on if they want it caviar caviar i can't caviar is the caviar is the stepchild of kevin's um catalog it's uh it's the most abstract it's the most tongue-in-cheek the most satirically comical and it gets overlooked because of the foul language at times or just the the abrasiveness mm -hmm. um some of kevin's fans aren't into the heavier music but caviar is one that in a collector's standpoint should be one of the most collected pieces of of eras from him because there was so minimal and mm -hmm. there weren't that many discs made and there's well, i can tell you there's less than 20 left so when those 20 are gone there is no more caviar as you know it so um that thud is getting near its final the giraffe wallet set call me kai all of these are going are they're they're Call Me Kai has like, I think less than 50 units left or something like that. And Giraffe has under a hundred. And, and these are just, they're constant sellers since, mm -hmm. you know, the resurgence of Kevin in the last couple of years, whether it's through the pandemic or our, you know, our structure of getting all this music out there. Um, you know, we had this plan. We had this going forward that we're going to do this. We're going to release this. We had the end game going on the physical media. So the, the last disc to come out will be shaming but definitely, I think nuts and bolts sold out already. Grab what you can. But yeah, caviar is probably the one that you want to grab if you haven't grabbed, or if you need an extra copy of it, grab it. Like I said, I don't care if you grab five copies. It's not. It's not about the sale. It's about ensuring that you're going to have actually that music in 20 years. If, right. If you're, you if you, you're out there trying to to tune people into Kevin's music and 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 you want to give something as a gift, you know. Yeah. That's that's important too. You, that's something a lot of people don't think about when they. And they buy their records and they buy their CDs. It's uh, it's like, yeah, I got my copy now. But at some point, you may want to pass along another copy to someone that you know that you that you know expresses some music uh, or, or some affinity for the music. If you're in the car listening to Giraffe and they ask about it, you know, friend of yours asks about it, you say, oh, this is this is Kevin Kevin Gilbert's band. Let me introduce you to more of his music, and then you won't be able to actually do that if you haven't made that purchase. You know, and we released the best of everything. Uh, it's a CD maxi single. 
And some people balked at that and said, well, what are you doing releasing a CD maxi single in the year 2022? <laughs> you know, and, and we just thought about it. And it was something that, that we came up with, with, you know, if Kevin was around, we have these songs, the best of everything, this pop demo and this instrumental, they're, they're different in itself. So why don't we release this because nuts and bolts is out of print now. And that had the best of everything. So mm -hmm. let's put this song on there because we're not going to be able to highlight it anywhere else. So instead of just releasing it in a digital format, why don't we take the time, make some packaging for people, put in some, some handwritten lyrics, you know, reproduced from Kevin and give people an actual product that they can have. We put, we numbered them. We put a nice little hologram sticker on them. So, you know, people just get more of a professional product with that more value for your dollar. And priced it at, you know, $8. And those are kind of what I call stocking stuffers. Those are things that, you know, when you go and buy your thud CD set or your, you know, your shaming of the true vinyl, those are ones that you're going to put in the cart and they're not for everybody. We're, we don't expect every Kevin Gilbert fan to go out there and buy that something like that. But for those who want it, there it is. And it, it's the estates doing this type of thing for the fans because they don't need to release a CD maxi single. You know, the, the, the estate could have just locked the door and said, you know, thank you for your time. Yeah. But they're putting out as much as they can. It's not to make the top dollar. It's to get the music out there. Yeah. Oh, I do not stand a chance Cause love is not the question here is the fortune that I bring She needs the best of everything Oh, I do not stand a chance Why should she settle for a common man When she can have a king She needs the best of everything Oh, she needs the best of everything I can vouch for the giraffe uh, quality of the music for that. Uh, I recommend you picking that up. Uh, Shaming of the True comes out. This uh, this uh, episode drops on the, I think, the 24th. I think right around then is when you guys will be releasing the 2LP vinyl version of Shaming. Like you mentioned, it's a six-panel gatefold, um, very high-quality vinyl. The You got the you get the special edition that's a hundred limited to 100. And then you said 600 of the, the regular? Yeah, 600. So, you know, that's not a lot. It's just 700 now, now, copies. Limited edition. The one thing about that is that was all hand assembled. I mean, 100% of the way. Everything, mm -hmm. the stamping. on You get four, four numbered locations in there. You get the LP that's numbered. You get the envelope that's numbered, the print that's numbered, and the certificate of authenticity. All that stuff was assembled by hand. So... It's, it's a sweet package. When the pictures, when you see all this stuff, it's it's going to be cool. All right. What size frame do I need for the print? 12 by 12. Okay. And the, okay, so a little backstory on that real quick. <laughs> Back in 2011, um, Shaming of the True was released in a two CD format that was in a 12 by 12 format. In there, they had 14 12 by 12 prints from John Seabury that were the storyline of the Shaming of the True. So when we did this package for vinyl, Obviously, we had already released the prints prior. 
So I had the idea, why don't we do the talent print, the print that shows Kevin, you know, thumb in his way, hitchhiking mm -hmm. on the highway. So why don't we show that print? It's on, yes. It's, it's this one if you're watching the video. So we've never had that in a 12 by 12 album flat. So John Rubin and Hugh Brown, the art director did uh, some investigating and they did that. They found out they found a place to do a print press, like I was telling you. Mm -hmm. So we did a hundred of those. So if you have the, and this is what I'm saying about paying attention to the fans, the 2011 edition of the shaming of the true has all those 14 prints in it. So now if you buy this special or this limited edition of the vinyl, you'll now get another 12 by 12 print. So this is this marries the whole thing together. So mm -hmm. so we, we think about those things going into it and saying, okay, they didn't get this print, they'll get it now. All right. Shaming of the true. Kevin Gilbert can't wait till the vinyl comes out and um can't wait for that shaming uh, expanded edition that will come out, uh, you said, around the end of the year sometime or maybe early next year. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, definitely. Wayne Perez, where can people find you on the internet? KevinGilbert.com. Just go there and that's all I can say. Just hit that up. There's uh, some fan clubs on Facebook for Kevin that I'm active on. And uh, that's it. Other than that, go to Kevin's YouTube channel and you can get that through Kevin's website. and definitely tune into you are here. Wayne, thanks so much for your time today talking about uh, this album, a, a, an art, artist that is on a wide scale perspective is, is criminally unknown, but those who are in the know when it comes to Kevin's music are very passionate about it. So I appreciate your time and, 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 and your expertise and, and your background uh, talking about this album today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.